I did want to uh, say a brief word to you just uh, of gratitude for your patience and understanding as you turn to Psalm 146 and 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 8 uh, in preparation for, for the sermon today. So please do turn there, Psalm 146 and 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 8. But but I am grateful as your pastor, church, for um, your patience and your understanding as we continue to work through some of these challenges um, with every with every new little situation that comes up, we're trying to do our very best to uh, do the right thing and also to be as consistent in our approach as as possible. Um, it's challenging. Uh, it, it's a little bit frustrating. I'll be honest with you. I'm ready to be done with this and to move on from this and, and to not have to uh, have it as a concern of ours. But I think it's important for us to keep a good attitude, to continue to uh, be unified in all of this, to be faithful, to show grace and kindness to one another, um, I'm very pleased with this church, the way that we have uh, acted, the way that we have treated one another in the midst of this potentially divisive situation. So I guess what I'm saying to you is stay the course, brothers and sisters, and, and we'll get through this. We need to take the long view. Uh, we have years and years and decades and decades of uh, ministry to do together. And uh, we need to keep that in mind as we uh, continue to progress through this. As I have said, the Old Testament reading for today is Psalm 146. Uh, the New Testament uh, reading is 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 8. So let us go now to the reading of God's most holy word. Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. Before I read 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 8, I am getting text messages as I'm reading saying that people can't hear the audio. So Mike, I'm not sure if you can't hear me there in the sanctuary or if that's just an issue that people are having on the live stream. Uh, but let's continue on and, and read 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 8, which is our sermon text for today. Um, here, Paul speaks to Timothy saying, honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayer night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 
So far, the reading of God's most holy word, may he add his blessing to the preaching of it this morning. It would be good for us to remember that we are in that portion of Paul's letter to Timothy, wherein he gives specific instructions for the proper care of the various groups of people within Christ's church. Timothy, as a minister, was to care for all generally. He was to put the word of God before the members. He was to teach sound doctrine, provide oversight and pastoral care. We've learned all about this in in the previous sections of, of Paul's letter to Timothy. But here in this section of the letter, Paul speaks to the particular kind of care that various groups within the church will need to receive. In the previous passage, Paul instructed um, Timothy to care for young and old male and female. In this text and in the next one, Paul speaks to the care of widows. And after that, he addresses the treatment of those who hold the office of elder. And then finally, in chapter six, he addresses pastoral care for bond servants. And so ministers must be faithful to provide care for the congregation generally, and also for the various groups that exist within the congregation. Here in verse three, Paul says, honor widows who are truly widows. And we need to talk about this little bit, this little phrase for for a moment. Honor honor widows who are truly widows, uh, Paul says. The word honor is very important. In fact, it ties this entire section of Paul's letter together. Timothy was to minister to young and old, male and female, in a way that was fitting. Remember, he was not to rebuke but encourage the congregation. He was to treat the older men as he would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. In other words, we might say that Timothy was to honor those to whom he ministered. He was to treat them in a way that was fitting. In verse 17, we read, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So there is that word honor again. Double honor is to be shown to elders who rule well, who labor in preaching and teaching. And in one, we read, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. So, Timothy was to show appropriate honor to all, and he was to see to it that honor was shown to all within Christ's church. So what does it mean to honor? What does it mean to honor? In general, to honor someone is to value them and to show them proper respect. This respect is, first of all, to reside within the heart, and it is shown through our speech and in our actions. When you honor someone, you speak respectfully to them. When you honor someone, you listen to them. When you honor someone, you treat them honorably, You pay them their due and you care for them if they are in need. And this is what Paul was urging Timothy along with the whole congregation in Ephesus to do. They were to show honor to one another. The church, brothers and sisters, is to be an organization of honor. It's to be an institution where the members treat one another with proper respect. Uh, That is really the main message that I want you to get out of this first portion of of the sermon. The, The church is to be an organization of honor. And as I have said, the principle of honor is the glue that holds this entire section of 1 Timothy together. And that word honor should immediately remind us of another scripture text, a very famous one. It should remind us of the fifth of the Ten Commandments, which says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And so if the principle of honor is the glue that holds this entire section of Timothy of Paul's letter to Timothy together, then, then it is the fifth commandment that is the source of that glue. 
As you know, the first table of the law, commandments one through four, has to do with man's relationship to God. And the second table of the law, commandments five through 10, has to do with man's relationship to man. How are we to relate to God? Well, in brief, we are to honor him as God alone. And how are we to relate to our fellow man? In brief, in summary, we are to honor our fellow man in a way that is fitting. Or to quote Christ, we may summarize the whole law in this way. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. And though love and honor are not synonyms, they are closely related. Uh, To love is to honor and to honor is to love. The first command of the first table is, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, here is the first requirement for a right relationship with God. We are to honor him as God and we are to give that honor to none other. And the first commandment of the second table is, honor your father and your mother. This is the first and leading requirement for a right relationship with your fellow man. You're to honor your father and your mother. And we might ask, why does the law say honor your father and your mother? Why does it not say more generically, honor everyone with the honor that is due to them? Why the specific command to honor father and mother? And I think the answer is this, by commanding children to show honor to their parents, God does highlight the importance and priority of that parent-child relationship. Children are brought into the world through the union of a man and a woman, And that man and woman do have the privilege and responsibility to raise that child, teaching them to walk in a manner that is worthy. Parents are to teach their children to love and honor God, and they are to teach their children to love and honor their fellow man. And how will they learn to show honor to their fellow man except by learning to, first of all, show honor to their parents? It is in the home. It is in that parent-child relationship that honor is learned. When the law says, honor your father and mother, it certainly does not mean that this is the only human relationship where honor is to be shown, that is, from a child to a parent. No, but it does help us to see the importance of the parent-child relationship and the importance of the family for the establishment and maintenance of a good and just society where men and women honor and love one another. The very first human authority that, that children encounter is parental authority. Parents are to teach their children to honor them, not only so that they might have the honor that is due to them, but so that the child might also learn to honor every other human authority which God has established in the world. And children, by learning to honor their parents, will also learn to honor God and their peers. To to put the matter very succinctly, the home is the place where honor is taught and learned. It is the first place where children learn to honor God supremely and their fellow man in their variety of places and relations as superiors, inferiors, and equals to to borrow the language from our Baptist catechism. And so brothers and sisters, when you hear the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother, do not think that it only applies to children living under their parents' roof. No, instead we are to see that it starts there. But here in this little commandment, we have a kernel of truth that is meant to sprout and grow and blossom, producing a people who know how to live to the honor of God and of all men, 
no matter if they are superiors, inferiors, or equals. This is the true and, and full meaning of the fifth commandment. We are to honor our parents first and foremost, but from there we are also to give honor to whom honor is due. And to demonstrate that this is the case, I may ask you, who are we to honor, brothers and sisters? Who are we to honor? And if you were to look at the scriptures more broadly and not just consider the fifth commandment, you would have to answer in this way, above all, we are to honor God. And among men, children are to honor their parents. Wives are to honor their husbands. Church members are to honor their pastors. Citizens are to honor those who govern. Um, em em employers are uh, to, to honor their employees. All of this should be clear to us. Honor is to be shown to a, a variety of people. But that is not all. There is also a sense in which parents are to honor their children. Husbands are to honor their wives. Children are to honor their siblings. Kings are even to honor their subjects, teachers, their students, bosses, their employees, pastors, the members of their congregation, and so on and so forth. As I have said, the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, is a kernel of truth that is meant to grow. It is meant to sprout up and blossom. And when properly understood and applied, it, it guides us to show honor that is fitting to all men, no matter if they are above us, no matter if they are our equals, no matter if they are below us in regard to, to rank. Uh, honor is to be shown to all men. And you may be asking yourself the question, well, where is this teaching found? Where is this teaching found in the Holy Scriptures? Um, well, it is found in, in, in many places. Generally, it is found in these words, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew twenty two thirty nine. So there is that principle that, that love and, and honor and respect is to be shown to all men. And to love is to honor and to honor is to love. And love is to be shown to, to everyone. Love your neighbor as yourself, the scriptures say. It's also found in these words, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets, Matthew 7, 12. There is that golden rule as it has been called. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And certainly you wish to be honored by others and you are to give that honor to others according to the scriptures. And it is in Christ that we find our example Though he certainly had authority over his disciples, and though they certainly owed him a special kind of honor as inferiors, Jesus, remember, washed their feet and said, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your teacher, your Lord and teacher, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And so this is the example that Christ has left us. Here, Christ, having supreme authority, washed his disciples' feet, and, and we are to do the same. Brothers and sisters, this is the Christian way. Not only are we to show honor to our superiors, that is to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ, to governors, parents, and pastors, or whoever the superiors may be, we are also to honor, love, and serve those who are our equals and even those who are under our authority, just as Christ did. And this is why the scriptures warn fathers saying, do not provoke your children, 
lest they become discouraged. And husbands are also warned, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the way of Christ, brothers and sisters. Though he had all authority, he did not lord it over his subjects, but humbly served them. He loved us and gave himself up for us, and we are to do the same for one another. We are to show honor to one another. Just as Peter says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. That is 1 Peter 2, 16 through 17. And so you may wonder, why, why have I belabored this point? Why have I camped upon the word honor and taken all of this time to connect it with the fifth commandment, showing how this commandment is to sprout and grow and mature into a sincere love for God and neighbor? Why have I, why have I belabored this point? Well, for two reasons. One, this is what Paul does in this section of 1 Timothy. He takes this principle that is first introduced to us in the fifth commandment in God's moral law, and he applies it to the various relationships uh, that exist within Christ's church. From 5.1 to 6.2 of 1 Timothy, Paul is urging that honor be shown to the various groups within the congregation in a way that is fitting. Again, the church is to be a place where God is honored above all and where men and women, boys and girls, are treated with honor also. And two, I have belabored this point because I think we need to hear it. We think, I think we need to hear it as a congregation. In fact, I do think we excel in this, brothers and sisters, but I am afraid that our culture has forgotten what it means to show honor. Consider our public discourse for a moment. There's so much harshness. Men are so very inconsiderate and impolite. People have forgotten how to listen to others or to communicate their opinions in a clear and respectful manner with calmness. It seems to me that dishonor rules the day in our culture. And I'm sure this has a lot to do with the breakdown of the family. Certainly it is a symptom of the rejection of God's moral law in our culture. Perhaps it is also symptomatic of media forms that do not require face-to-face -face interaction. Perhaps you have noticed this. It is much easier to be harsh and rude when you do not have to look into the eyes of the other human being that you're engaging with, that other human being being made in God's image. Now, whatever the root cause, I think you would agree with me that in our culture, at least as it pertains to our public and political discourse, very little honor is shown. And brothers and sisters, we must be careful to avoid this virus in Christ's church. In Christ, we must keep God's law. And as we do, we will be countercultural. The church is to be a place of honor. It is to be a place filled with people who honor God supremely, submitting to his revealed will and loving him from the heart. And it is to be filled with people who treat others with honor as well. Parents, uh, may I turn to you for just a brief moment and ask you this question. Are you teaching your children to give honor to whom honor is due? Are you teaching them, them this? Are they taught to honor God as God in your home? Are they learning to honor their superiors by first learning to honor you? And are they learning to honor their equals and their inferiors through their interactions with their siblings 
and their friends of, of various ages? Are they learning this? Being a parent is, is a great blessing. It's, it's very rewarding work. It's very important work, but it is also hard work. It requires that we lovingly and patiently instruct and discipline our children, brothers and sisters. We must discipline them in the Lord. We must discipline them in love. We must teach our children God's law. They need to understand the fifth commandment. They need to know it. And because they struggle with sin, as do we, we must teach them to trust in Christ. They must trust him for the forgiveness of their sins. And having done so, they must trust him also to have victory over sin. They must strive to live in obedience to God's law, not in their own strength, but with the strength that God provides. So are you teaching your children to do all of this? Are you modeling it yourself? Are you showing them how? I'm preaching to you not as one who has mastered parenting. I have not. I'm preaching to you as one who is struggling in the trenches with you. But brothers and sisters, let us be sure to give our children both the law and the gospel. Let us be sure to show them the way that they should go. That is, give them the law. And when they fail, let us be sure to lovingly discipline them and point them to Christ. They are to trust in him for forgiveness and for victory over sin. We're to give them the gospel. Our children need to hear the law and the gospel just as we do if they are to learn to honor God and man. And children and young adults, I wish to speak to you for a moment as well. And to ask you this question, are you striving to honor and love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And are you striving to to love and to honor your fellow human beings? In other words, are you keeping the fifth commandment? The scriptures are clear that if we love God truly, then we will strive to, to obey him. We'll strive to keep his law. So are you Are you striving to keep the fifth commandment? Are you honoring your parents? Are you resolved to always show them respect and to obey them? And I'm saying to you, children and young adults, it is so very important that you do. You should remember that the very first thing God commands us to do when it comes to our relationship with other human beings is to honor our father and mother. And so I ask you, are you striving to keep God's law? Don't do it in your own strength. Do it with the strength that God provides. Don't try to keep God's law in order to earn God's favor or his love. No, his love is freely given. You must trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. But once you are in Christ, trusting in him for the forgiveness of your sins, you must strive to keep God's law. And this fifth commandment is the first one as it pertains to our relationship with others. Are you honoring your siblings and your peers, children and young adults? It is true that you are not to honor them with the same kind of honor that you give your parents. Uh, for example, you are not required to obey them as you are your parents, but, but you are to honor them as your equals. You are to treat them as you would want to be treated. You are to speak the, to them with, with love and respect. So brothers and sisters, young and old, if I were to read the fifth commandment to you and ask, have you kept this law perfectly? What would you say? I hope you would say, no. I have violated this law and thought word indeed. That would be the honest response, wouldn't it? And this confession of sin should then send you running to Jesus to trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins. But if you were in Christ, if you have been washed by his blood, then you ought to strive to keep God's law, including the command to honor your father and mother. And members of Christ's church, I ask you, 
Are you honoring one another in Christ Jesus? That is what Paul is urging us to do through this section of his letter to Timothy. Honor is to be shown to all. In particular, he is commanding us here that honor be shown to widows. I know it's taken me a long time to get to the subject of widows, but I think it is good for us to reflect upon this principle of honor generally and to ask, are we doing it? Are we truly honoring one another in Christ Jesus in obedience to God's revealed will? Honor widows, Paul says. So we finally got to the point, honor widows. A widow is is someone whose spouse has died. And in Paul's day, widows were particularly vulnerable. There was nothing like social security in those days. The government did not care for widows as it does today. And so the responsibility to care for, care for widows was left to families and other private institutions. And so Paul commands Timothy as a minister in Christ church to honor widows who are truly widows. Now, I think it is clear that the word honor here means more than respect. When Paul commands Timothy to honor widows, he is insisting that honor be shown to them by seeing to it that their needs were met. Oftentimes, honoring someone means that you speak to them respectfully or you treat them kindly, but, but sometimes it means that you, you come alongside them in their moment of need and, and you meet their needs. That is the way that you are to honor them in certain circumstances. And surely, Timothy was not to do this all alone. It's not as if it was Timothy's job as an individual to, to meet the needs of the widows in the church. Instead, the message is clear. He was to see to it that the church honored its widows that the church see to it that the needs of the widows in the congregation were met. Pastors do have a particular responsibility to honor widows in the congregation. They are to care for them spiritually and see to it that they are also provided for physically. And it is the deacons of the church who have a particular responsibility to care for the physical needs of widows. And here we should remember that passage in Acts chapter 6, where the first deacons of the church were appointed. And why were they appointed? If you remember that, that event as recorded for us in Acts chapter six, uh, they were appointed to oversee ministry to widows. They were to see to it that the widows in the church were cared for, both the Jewish widows and also the Greek widows were to be treated with equal honor and respect. They were to be cared for equally. There was to be fairness in the care of widows within the congregation. It may be that the deacons provide the care themselves, that is possible, but it is more likely that the deacons will oversee ministry to widows and the members of the congregation will be the agents who do in fact meet the needs. And so it is the church made up of pastors, deacons, and members that is called to honor widows. This is one of the responsibilities of the Christian congregation. And though Paul mentions only widows here, what he says may be applied to anyone within the church who is in need. I hope that you can see that. Widows are identified as being particularly vulnerable But these same principles that we are learning can be applied to anyone within the church who is in need. The church is to be a place of love and honor, and this will involve caring for the needy and the vulnerable amongst us. Listen to James 1.27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so following God faithfully in the world will involve visiting or caring for people who are afflicted. 
And later James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. This is a very sober warning from James. He's saying if you have true faith, then you're going to honor those who are in need around you. And you're going to honor them, not just in word, but also in deed. And finally, Galatians 6.10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I think this is very helpful here, Paul's words to the Galatians. The words, as we have opportunity, acknowledge that resources are limited. There may be needs that we do not have the ability to meet. The words, let us do good to everyone, remind us that it is good to help even those outside the church. And the words, especially to those who are of the household of faith, teach us that the church is to give priority to meeting the needs of its members. Priority is to be given to meeting the needs of the members of the church because, as has already been said, resources are limited. And so again, the church is to be a place where honor is shown, and this will sometimes involve caring for those who are afflicted by meeting physical needs. And this should not come as a surprise to you, brothers and sisters. Remember that the church is the household of God. If we are in Christ, we have been adopted as God's children. We bear his name and we represent him on earth. Or we may also say the church is the body of Christ. We are his members, we are his hands and feet. We do his work as we represent him on earth. And we are to remember this about our God, the Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. That is Psalm 146, nine. It's the passage that was read from the Old Testament at the beginning of, of the sermon. We are to remember this about our God. He watches over the vulnerable and the needy, the sojourners, the widow and, and the fatherless. And if we are his representatives, if we are the body of Christ, if we are his people, then we are to do the very same thing as we sojourn in this world. And so church, I ask you, do you have God's heart for the sojourner, the widow and the fatherless? Are you eager to represent Christ on earth? Are you prepared to be his hands and feet? And you will notice that I am here addressing you as the church. I did not say Christian, I I said church, and there is a good reason for that. We are so very limited as individuals. Obviously, we'll have to meet these needs as individuals too, but it is important that we meet these needs as a congregation individually. We are very limited when it comes to time, money, ability, but together we have more. It is the church collectively that is to care for its widows and others who are afflicted in our midst. Now, the remainder of this passage does provide the church with very helpful boundaries Um, That Galatians 6.10 passage that I read earlier had boundaries built into it. Perhaps you noticed that. Churches are to do good to all. that That is the general principle. But Paul did also say, as we have opportunity, and especially to those who are of the household of faith, those two phrases that I've just read uh, do provide some boundaries to our benevolence. And here in 1 Timothy, he says, honor widows, who are truly widows. Now, that is a very interesting phrase, I think. 
honor widows who are truly widows. I suppose that some might respond to that phrase by saying, but aren't all widows widows? How can you be a widow, but not truly a widow? We must ask, well, what does Paul mean by this? Clearly, he knows that all widows are widows in a certain sense. If a woman has lost her husband to death, she will need to be ministered to. She is a widow. She must be honored and cared for. And there are no exceptions to this. And the same could be said of widowers, a husband who has lost his wife to death. To be joined together for life in one flesh union, to be bound together in a covenant of love and to have that bond severed by death is a very difficult thing. All widows and widowers are to be honored and cared for within Christ's church. But when Paul commands that only widows who are truly widows be honored, he is clearly speaking of honor being given in the form of financial support. In other words, the question is, when should a widow receive substantial and regular financial support from the church? Or we might say, when should she be put on the list, if you will? I want for you to notice what verse 9 says of 1 Timothy 5. Verse 9 says, let a widow be enrolled if she, and then there are a list of qualifications that follow that little phrase there. Let a widow be enrolled. Let her be put on the list if she, so on and so forth. And we will come to that text next Sunday, Lord willing. The answer is that only true widows should be honored in this way by being enrolled or put on the list, which will involve, as we will see, receiving substantial and ongoing support from the church. Now, brothers and sisters, we are gonna move through the remainder of our passage for today rather quickly in just a moment. But before we do, let me make this very general observation based upon the phrase, honor widows who are truly widows. Though it is true that the church is to care for those who are afflicted, this most certainly does not mean that the church is to meet every need that presents itself in a careless and undiscerning manner. Uh, To put the matter bluntly, a church is not fulfilling the law of love if it carelessly distributes money and resources to everyone who simply asks for aid. Uh, No, we see here in that Galatians passage and also in the one that is before us that uh, the church is to exercise discernment when it distributes the funds of the church. Wisdom is needed. And sometimes it is right for the church to say no to a request. It's a very hard thing to do, but sometimes it is the right thing to do. And I think it is clear that that is what Paul is saying here. When he says honor widows who are truly widows, he means do not honor and I take that to mean with substantial and ongoing financial support, widows who are not truly widows. These are not to be enrolled. And so let me make a couple of very brief points of application before moving on. One, all of the members of EMEA should seek to develop discernment when it comes to benevolent giving. Think of this, brothers and sisters, the resources you have are God's resources. He has entrusted them to you. And he is not pleased when you distribute those resources carelessly and foolishly. The world is filled with scam artists, brothers and sisters. You need to know this. Do not be gullible. 
And if you know that you are prone to this, lean upon others in the church who can help you discern the difference between a legitimate offer or need and a fraud. Also, do not believe the lie which says it is unloving to say no to someone who is in need. Brothers and sisters, that actually might be the appropriate response in some circumstances. It may be that you are to say no, not because you are unloving, but because there is a better way, because you are exercising wisdom and discernment. And so all of the members should seek to develop discernment when it comes to benevolent giving. And two, I would ask you to please pray for your elders and deacons that they would have wisdom as they oversee and manage the benevolence ministries of the church. Pray that the Lord would give them wisdom to know when to say yes and no and to determine how much and for how long. This is important work that they do and we would covet your prayers. Please pray for your elders and deacons as they oversee the benevolence ministries of the church. So, So we return to the text now. Who are the true widows that Paul was referring to? Who are they? And two things become clear as we move through the remainder of this passage. First of all, a true widow is one who is left all alone. Not only has her husband died, but she does not have family to care for her. In in cases such as these, the church is to step in and meet the needs. Look at verses three and four. Of 1 Timothy 5, honor widows who are truly widows, Paul says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. I think this is very significant. Here, Paul upholds the significance of the family, that is the biological family. With all of the talk of the church being a spiritual family and God's household that we have encountered here in 1 Timothy, some might mistakenly believe that the biological family loses its significance altogether. But that is not so. It is true the church is a spiritual family. Through faith in Christ, we have God as Father. We are brothers and sisters. Therefore, we sit at God's table. The spiritual family is very significant. We have Christ in common. Together, we have been reconciled to the Father, and this bond that we have will last for all eternity, but this does not obliterate the importance of the biological family for the Christian. We must see that God works powerfully in families. It is there that children are to be raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It is there that children are to be loved, provided for, protected, and taught to honor God and man. And notice that the bonds of the biological family continue to have significance even after children are raised. Who is responsible to care for widows and widowers? Well, according to the teaching of scripture, before the church is responsible, the children and grandchildren are. They are first up. They are to show godliness to their own household. They are to make some return to their parents, the text says. I take this to mean that children should be eager to care for their parents in their old age, just as their parents cared for them when they were young. And I cannot help but mention the fifth commandment one more time, honor your father and mother. That obligation does not stop at age 18 or when the child moves out of the house. That obligation uh, that is established there in the first commandment of the second table of the law, that continues throughout the whole of life, honor your father and mother. And so children, I, I might ask you at this time, 
to look at your parents and to consider how they have cared for you. Think about it. Think of all they have done for you from birth to this present day. Uh, Think how they have nurtured you and provided for all of your needs. And also think about the future. Someday you may have the opportunity to care for them just as they have cared for you. And according to the scriptures, you should be eager to do so. For this is pleasing in the sight of God, Paul says. In fact, you'll notice here that Paul delivers a very strong rebuke to professing Christians who refuse to care for relatives in need when it is in their power to do so. Look at verse 8. And this is a very strong rebuke, isn't it? But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Why does Paul say this? Well, even unbelievers know that they are to care for their relatives. They know this because the natural law is written on their hearts. But the Christian has access to the scriptures. The the, the Christian has God's law written down. And so this should be even more clear to them based upon the fifth commandment, that they have an obligation to care for their relatives in old age. And the Christian faith more than this and and, and generally demands that we care for the orphan and widow. To refuse to do this for a family member when it is in your power to do so is to deny the faith, Paul says. This would be a denial, not in word, of course, but in deed. I should probably tell you what verse 8 does not mean, lest you misunderstand this rebuke from Paul. This is not a rebuke to those who do not meet the needs of relatives because they cannot meet the needs. No, this is a rebuke instead delivered to those who have it in their power to meet a legitimate need and yet refuse to because they are selfish or hard-hearted. I think that is what Paul is addressing here. This is not a rebuke to those who do not meet the needs of relatives because they cannot. Two, this is not a rebuke to those who have decided that boundaries must be kept between their household and an abusive, manipulative, or otherwise damaging relative. No, I think it is appropriate for Christians to be wise and discerning when offering care, as I have already said. And so it may be that as you consider your parents, you say, I cannot meet their needs because they have been so terribly abusive and manipulative in years past and they have not changed. I think it is appropriate to, in some situations, to maintain firm boundaries. But as a general rule, children and grandchildren should honor their older relatives by caring for them in times of affliction. They should honor their relatives by caring for them in times of affliction. And parents, I might also have you at this moment look at your children. And to think of this, your objective, and you may not like to hear this, but I think it is important that you do. Your objective is to send them off. That is your job. To prepare them for adulthood, to prepare them for independence, to prepare them to go off and to establish households of their own. That is our job as parents. But I do hope that you send them off knowing how to honor God and man. Make sure that they learn how to do that. Above all else, send them off knowing how to honor God and how to honor man. And if you do, I want you to think of how you will be blessed in your old age. For that honor will come back to you in due time. 
But life does not always go as planned, does it? Sometimes things are difficult. Uh, Sometimes life is filled with sorrow and with tears. And sometimes widows are left all alone. They are truly widows. And if they are, what does Paul say to Timothy? The church is to honor them. The church is then at that point to step in, to care for them, even in practical ways. Secondly, when Paul speaks of widows who are truly widows, he has in mind those who have been left with nothing except their hope and trust in God. So so true widows are those who have been left all alone. They do not have relatives to care for them. And also true true widows are those who have been left with nothing except their hope and trust in God. Verse five, she who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayer night and day, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. The meaning is this, the church is not obligated to support a widow by providing for her excessive and self-indulgent way of life. I think that is the point that Paul is making. A true widow, one who is eligible to receive substantial and ongoing support from the church, the one who is eligible to be put on the list or enrolled, is one who is living a very simple life and is lacking even the basic necessities of life. Widows like these are the ones who are eligible to receive substantial and ongoing assistance from the church, being enrolled in the number. And we will talk more about that next week as we come to the next passage. Brothers and sisters, as I move now to a conclusion, the church is to be a house of honor. The church is to be a house of honor. God is to be honored here. And we are to honor one another in Christ Jesus. Particularly, it is to be a house where widows and others who are afflicted are honored. They are not to be cast to the side, but we are to be eager to show them honor because it is pleasing to God and because it is good and right. For the Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widows and the fatherless. We must remember this. This is the heart of our God. He is concerned for the afflicted amongst us. This he does directly, but this he does through the care that his own people offer to the afflicted in this world. But remember this honor is not without boundaries. Families are first in line to care for their relatives. And in general, the church is obligated to meet needs, not self-indulgent desires. Wisdom and discernment is needed here. And so brothers and sisters, this love we are to show to one another, it is a reflection of the love that God has poured out on us in Christ Jesus. It is a dim reflection for our resources are very limited while his are unbounded. And we must be concerned about enabling sin when we, have, uh, when we give gifts. But God is not so concerned. When he pours out his grace, he washes sin away and renews the heart. Nevertheless, our love for one another is to reflect God's love for us in Christ. This is why Christ said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do pray that you would be glorified in and through your people. 
be glorified in and through us as we live in constant dependence upon you, as we trust in you to meet all of our needs, as we give thanks to you for the good things that you have given to us. And be glorified in us also as we love one another, as we have been commanded to. Father, we do pray that the world would see it and take notice. We pray, Father, that you would bless your church. Bless us with continued unity and peace. Bless us with love. Provide for all of our needs. Father, we pray that our church would be filled with those who have true faith in Christ and that we would follow you consistently all the days of our life. Teach us to keep your law. In particular, show us how to honor one another in Christ Jesus. And we do pray that you would provide for our daily needs. We pray for those in our congregation who are sick and who are recovering. I pray for my wife, Lindsay, that you would raise her up soon, that you would bring relief to her. Uh, We pray for John and Christy's cousin too, for Johnny, that you would uh, restore him and uh, do help John and Christy to be a witness to their family in this time. We pray for the general health of our congregation, that you would preserve us, Lord, and that you would give us wisdom as we continue to move forward, uh, navigating um, these these strange times uh, that we are facing. Father, we ask that you would forgive us of our sins, just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us and that you would lead us day by day, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. 